1: podcast, proud to be part of the VOC Nation radio network. And after you listen to the podcast, be sure to check out our website, stadiumjourney.com. It contains over 2,500 stadium reviews, news items, and great features, perfect for the traveling sports fan. And in addition to the website, we are all over social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and more to be coming in the future days, I'm sure. like and follow us everywhere. We'll be on Tinder if you want. We don't care. <laughs> uh, I'm <not> the, picky. <laughs> well, some of us maybe. Yeah, well, yeah. The State of Journey podcast is the perfect companion while you're on a road trip. Just type in DOC Nation Radio Network on your podcast search app, aggregator, whatever you want to call that thing. I'm showing my age here. Or just go to our website and look under the podcast tab. In addition, all of our old video podcasts. Are on our YouTube channel. It's perfect for binge-watching. And VOC Nation podcasts, all of the different VOC Nation podcasts, can now be found on Spotify. Right? Yes, right. sir. You got it. And if you're watching or listening to this podcast at a later date, we do stream live every other Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv slash Law 83 Of course, not tonight. Yeah, that's my fault. Oh, that's okay. We're, we're uh, preempting ourselves. And now let me introduce our starting lineup. Dave Cotty is with us. You can follow him at ProFan9. Mark Viquez is here. You can follow him at BallparkHunter, our producer. The above average comedian Dan Calachico is online at DanLaw83. And I am Paul Baker. You can follow me at PuckFanRI. And tonight we are happy to be joined by author Greg Larson, whose new book, Clubby, a Minor League Baseball Memoir, chronicles his time as the clubhouse attendant for the Aberdeen Ironbirds of the now-defunct New York Penn League. Uh, Your book comes out soon, Greg, and welcome to the podcast.
2: Thanks for having me, fellas.
1: All right, so um, the one thing that really struck me about your book, Greg, it was a great read. I think I went through it in two nights because I just really got into it. Because as someone who worked in minor league baseball for 12 years myself, um, it took me back to the grind. The grind that is working at a baseball for a baseball team.
2: Right. That's all it is, man. It is a big it's a long grind. Even, you know, one of my favorite quotes from Alan Mills, the pitching coach, when I was on the Ironbirds, he said, they call it short season, but it's still a long season. Meat doesn't matter if it's two and a half months, six months, doesn't matter. You're grinding your way through it sometimes.
1: Yeah, so uh for our listeners who may not be aware, and I know our listeners are because, you know, we have we have really smart people who listen. Aberdeen is the city that's about 30 miles north of Baltimore. They were the Orioles' short season affiliate for, for, geez, about 20 years or so. And you worked you worked for the team for a couple of years in there?
2: Two years, 2012 and 2013. The 2012 year we were cellar dwellers. I mean, the team has been historically bad. Um, and then 2013 we had a little bit of a shot at redemption, and we actually had a competitive team. We had Mikey Stremsky on that team. We had Trey Mancini on that team. A uh, couple other guys who've had their cup of coffee, Jimmy bonus, Austin Wins. Um, Josh Hader was actually on the 2012
1: team. But, uh,
2: yeah, it, it was a, a tale of two seasons for me, for sure.
1: Yeah, that's the thing with minor league ball. I mean, because the teams, especially down in the low minors, they turn over so quickly that, especially down in the short season, it's a different team every year, pretty much.
2: Oh, it's a different team every week. I mean, and that's not really an exaggeration at all. I mean, guys would be shipped. In 2013, it was a little different. We were making a run. We were winning games, so the organization kept the team a little bit more intact. Um, but 2012, guys were churning and burning every single week.
1: So uh, Jeez. Um, yeah, the grind is what hit me. Um, and, uh, yeah, you gave us a nice look at what it's like to be in a clubhouse, um, you know, for a season. I wish I would have talked to my buddy – Carl, Carl Goodrow, who was the longtime clubhouse guy up here in Pawtucket, um, used to be close to my I worked in concessions, so I had a different gotcha. experience uh, uh, working for a team. Uh, yeah, I was just part-time, so my grind was work every day and go to the ballpark at night stay there till 11 or 12 at night. <laughs> right. My days were probably still shorter than yours, I know.
2: <laughs> so uh, like Working in concessions, I mean, we got our food from you sometimes. I mean, in Aberdeen, at least, we would feed the team with leftover concessions food.
1: You know, that was something that really struck me about when you were going through what your day and what your different procedures were like, was the amount of hustling you had to do. I mean, A, oh, yeah. getting like, getting paid from the players. That yeah. I, I never realized this, that the, the players paid you for all the services that you performed, and then you had to go hustle to get food or laundry or whatever, all those different duties that you had to do, get all that stuff done.
2: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't make any – when you look at it logically, it doesn't make any sense that it's basically another tax on guys who are getting paid 1250 bucks a month. They pay their clubhouse attendance 7 bucks a day, and then tips are expected on top of it. And what they're paying me for is to be fed at the stadium where they're meant to be – where their parent team is forcing them to be. And so they're paying me to do that, and they're paying me to do laundry. Uh it doesn't make much sense. I'm glad it's changing this year with contraction and with players getting a little bit more money. Dues have been abolished in the minor leagues, which I think is a good thing. Clubbies, I was making three times as much as the players, and I was washing their jocks and traps. It's messed up outside of their signing bonuses, of course, you know. But I'm glad that they've abolished dues. I think it's better for the players. And it's one of those things that it doesn't make sense. It's one of those baseball things that, oh, that's just the way we've always done it. We've always had a clubhouse attendant, and we give them a little bit of money.
1: Yeah, I mean, a tip is one thing, but you had to to find out that they had to pay – and, yeah, like you said, these guys are at the bottom – this is the first stop on their major mm-hmm. league journey, right? So they're not – they weren't making a whole lot of money. And for them to have to give a good part of it here and there, did they have to pay for room and board as well, or is that something the team uh,
2: – It depended. There would be host families in the Aberdeen area. I mean, this is pretty typical for that level. There would be host families who just want to – um help out the players. They might give a – they they might ask for a token rent of, say, $10 a day. Uh, Some host families wouldn't charge anything. I mean, my first year, the team put me up in uh, in an apartment, and at any given time I'd have up to five guys, uh, five players sleeping in my living room just because they had nowhere else to stay. So just imagine six dudes in a two-bedroom apartment (laughs) – on blow-up
3: mattresses. I'd rather not. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, that was one of the things that I, I was interested in is, is with all of these changes, and one of the uh, reasons, if, excuses, um, behind the minor league purge has been this idea that, well, we need to do a better job with the, with the players that we have. So um, if you think about like what you described, you know, outside of the original investment, where you're, they're paying really no salary, but that signing bonus—that's like the only investment they're putting into these players, other than the time um, that 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 they're putting in. Like expecting these guys and, and uh, expecting guys coming from like you know Dominican or something who are right. who are coming out of nowhere, and they're living on like peanut butter and. Jelly, like, what are they thinking? Like, that you know, you go through all of this, all of this trouble to bring these guys in. And I mean, I i teach phys ed to grade seven and eight, and I can tell you that <laughs> that system's not working, <laughs> right? Dude, I mean, the mentality
2: it's called a lot of guys don't publicize this idea, but they call it the boatload mentality where they're just, especially with the Dominicans, they're just going to buy as many Dominican guys as they can at 16. I know the international signing rules are changing this year, but at the time, buy as many signing bonuses for Dominican players as you can at 16 years old. And if just one of them pans out, it works out, and then they don't really care about the rest. And it's more extreme with the Dominicans, but the same mentality applies to the American dudes as
3: well. So how? How? what other... Differences, Like, how would it look differently, do you think, now? Like, if you go in for – if you were to work in the clubhouse for next year as opposed to, you know, when you did work. Yeah. I
2: Again, this is me just trying to see into the crystal ball, but the way I see it, to, dues have been abolished. Um, facilities are more regulated by Major League Baseball, which to me just seems – it's probably more for show than anything. They just get rid of some crappy stadiums, and the other stadiums are just going to stay the same. Um, hey, wait, we're wait a, a minute, Christian. I lost my team yeah.
1: this year. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, that's the thing is that Just the kidding. fans the, – well, the fans do lose out on a lot of teams, um, you know, places like Frederick, Maryland, or, I mean, all over – 40 teams got contracted yeah. uh, yeah. But so the way I see it, clubbies are not going to be as generational as they used to be, I think, because I think that they're going to make a lot less money, and more money is going to stay in the pockets of the players. So I think in the clubhouse – Major League Baseball is going to have a, a bigger hands in nutrition after the game. Each team is having a nutritionist. I ex- I don't know this for sure, but I expect that's going to look like a stipend and maybe a little bit more oversight. Um, I can't imagine, well, it's possible that each team will have a nutritionist actually going out and buying the meals and all of that. But the clubby is going to, clubby is a position where hustlers do, like if there's anything they can scrape off the top, they're going to skimp on food any way they possibly can. Um, I expect the clubbies are going to be more churn and burn, a couple of years at a time, not staying there for decades, because they're going to be paid a lot less. It's going to be more of an intern type position. It's going to lose a big part of that clubhouse culture, uh, which I think is a loss, but I think it is better for the players in the long run.
1: One thing that came up, and Dave's question kind of reminded me of this, um, and this comes up in a lot of books about baseball that I've read, is the uh, the differences between the American-born players. And the uh, you know like the, the Latin players yeah. and how it's really two separate cultures. You kind of touched on that in clubby. Was it really that pronounced a difference between the two sets of players?
2: Oh yeah, to the point where in 2012, I mean it, it would go all the way down to like music choices. Guys would argue, are we going to play English speaking music or are we going to play Spanish speaking music? And when you're 22 and 45 and it's August and everybody want, just wants to go home you're not playing the right music, it's a problem. And in that 2012 season, it got to the point where guys um, were taking – there's one instance where one of the pitchers took a baseball bat out and tried to hit one of the other American pitchers in the head with it uh, until that pitcher was tackled, his bat was taken away, and then he pulled another bat out of his bag, and everyone's like, whoa. After all the dust had cleared, everyone's like, where the hell did the pitcher get all those bats?
1: I remember that story, yeah.
2: It was – you know, kind of a goofy – it's just so cartoonish in that world. But when you look at it from the perspective of 10 years after the fact, it's like, golly, dude, those tensions in the clubhouse were so unnecessary. And there's these subtle racist tensions of people calling the Dominicans conos, which is – you know, it's like the N-word for a Dominican guy. It's a word that they call each other, this kind of thing. Um, That's very common sort of mentality of like, oh, just put the conos off to the side. Let them take care of themselves. And um, nobody was translating coaches' speeches for them. They didn't have any help with how to handle all the new money that they're getting being in this country. It is like, you know, some of these guys had a third grade ed- education because they got plucked to just play baseball for the rest of their lives, which is great. Maybe they can get their family out of poverty. But at the same time, they did not have a lot of help in this country. I did not see at least.
1: And, again, it seems like such a disservice to your assets if you're a baseball team to be right. not providing these players with life skills. I mean, you're dropping, yeah, like you said, guys who don't speak English, dropping them off in some strange city in Maryland, Dude. where there's probably not a lot of resources for a Dominican guy either, a 22-year-old Dominican guy coming up.
2: No, like, even, yeah, if you want to look at it from a purely economical perspective, it's not a good investment. If you want to look at it like that, just from, like, a humanitarian perspective, it's messed up, but, like, yeah, it doesn't make sense to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess that's a sociologist in me coming out with a, <laughs> But yeah, but that's been a theme in so many different books that I've read over the years. So it really struck me in yours as well as I was going through it. Yeah, it's this
2: canon fodder mentality, I think.
3: So what were you when you first started, or? When you were heading in that, in that direction to be the clubhouse attendant in Aberdeen, what were you expecting it to look like?
2: I was expecting it to be a little bit more serious, quite frankly. Though my only experience with baseball was Major League Baseball and uh, college baseball. And so I, I was the clubhouse attendant in uh, Winthrop University, Division I school in the Big South Conference. I was expecting it to be a perfect example. I was a, grew up a twins fan, grew up in the Minnesota, Minneapolis area, and I had a Minnesota Twins blanket that I brought with me everywhere. And when I heard that I was going to be um, you know, put up by the team in an apartment and that players might be living with me, I was like, oh crap, I have to hide all of my Minnesota Twins paraphernalia because these guys are going these guys are diehard Orioles fans because they are part of the Orioles organization. Well, it turns out nobody really cared about that at all. Like, guys would make fun of each other if they changed their allegiances to the Orioles just because they played for the Orioles. Like, it was a point of, like, you're a nerd if you're an Orioles fan just because you play for them, (laughs) which was, like, such a cognitive shift for me as a fan. But it was really, like, everybody cared about it more than anything, but at the same time nobody gave a shit, if that makes any sense at all. People just wanted to go home sometimes.
1: Yeah, I know that feeling when August rolls around and you're just looking, when is Labor yes. Day? When is this over? When do I get to stop working right. 16 hours a day?
2: No matter how well your team is doing, sometimes um, people are just marking off that calendar once it gets to oh. August.
1: Those years where we made the playoffs, it was like, oh, shit, another
3: week. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> you guys are all saying that now, and I'm sitting here having not gone to a game in over a year. Yeah, but you've <laughs> never worked the grind of a minor league season. That's, that's true, but –
2: you know, you take it for granted very
3: quickly. When you yeah. go
2: back to the stadium, it's it's reality. But you know what? I
1: when I stopped working, it, my my it took a couple of years for my clock, my body clock to adjust. Oh, it's April.
3: Time to get started again. Oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Dave. No, it's okay. Um, so one of the things that one of the kind of central themes that that you had in your book was how. Being the the clubhouse attendant changed you, and not for the better, um, but but really for the worse. And and when I when I cracked it open, I'll be honest with you, I got the book and I thought it was just going to be kind of like a a, this is what life in the in the minor leagues is like, kind of like a you know like a like John Feinstein's book, um, and then because I had no idea what you know clubby okay what works for the club I don't what whatever. And then I kind of got into it, and it was like, "Wait, wait a second! He's not looking at a player's perspective at all. He's he's working for the team as a clubhouse attendant." And it kind of took this almost, you know, extreme example, but this sort of dark leaving Las Vegas kind of
2: mm-hmm.
3: kind of feel to it. And and you know, what was what was that like to go through? And then maybe. After, because you you don't really talk too much about after the book. How how hard was it to kind of pull yourself out of that sort of um out of that that era, that feeling, that darkness?
2: Yeah, I mean, w- when I look at the book now, I would write it differently if I were to write it now, inevitably. But at the time, I thought the the character of Greg Larson, you know, it's a memoir, so I have to look at everybody as characters and people. Like I think it is a pretty cynical character. Um, I don't know, man. When I look back at it now, I think I'm not the same kind of fan I used to be. I don't watch the game. I don't know who won the last five World Series. I kind of don't care. Uh, I don't know
1: what. Well, that's my last question.
2: <laughs> like it's, it doesn't interest me. But what I do care about is stories like Trey Mancini coming back from cancer. I care about that. I don't care what his batting average is going to be. I don't care what the Orioles are going to be in the stands this year. No, no interest to me. But the people I've realized. It just made my relationship deeper with the game because all the way up until maybe last year when I started to, um, you know, prepare to publish the book, I thought, man, like I have this cynical view of the game because of that time in Aberdeen. Because I saw, I can't watch a major league game without seeing 100 guys who got cut just to make that player possible. Um, even though there is, it is meritocracy for the most part. But I realize now I think it just made my relationship with the game deeper where, like, I don't – maybe it's matured my relationship with the game where I look at it less with the starry eyes of a kid who grew up going down to Fort Myers to watch the Twin spring training thinking I'm going to be one of those guys one day and more of, you know, a young guy who used to work in the business and I can see it as something more complete as a guy who cares about the players with some reverence and who cares about it as a business as well. Or can at least see it as a business,
3: I should say. I don't care about their bottom line. <laughs> I, was, I was, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. It's, it's interesting that you put it that way because that's one of the big kind of dichotomies in sports that I see is, on one hand, you have these guys who are trying to sell themselves. And uh, one of the phrases that I hate hearing in sports all the time is build your brand. You're got to build your brand and branding and this and that and the other thing. And to me, you can't have a brand who's a person if you – if you want to build your brand that's fine but then you sort of cease becoming really a person right whereas you're dealing with these people and and seeing them as people and seeing them as how you know and, and of course i know that all these people are people but we're not presented in that way we're supposed to consume them and to purchase them as opposed to you know like them and and you know, feel compassionate for them and, and, and all those th- kinds of things is one of the, one of the things I hate about modern sports is that it, you know, this idea of branding and selling things and yeah, it's really, it's really kind of a tough dichotomy, which you just brought out really perfectly there. Yeah. I mean,
2: it's almost this idea of a player having to brand himself is this expectation that they should confine, they should confine their personality into a smaller box as we perceive them to have. Consumable.
1: Yeah, great. I was going to ask you, at, when, we're, when it was time to wrap up, I was going to ask you, because I know I went through this in a, in a way, did working in baseball ruin baseball for you? And you kind of answered that a little bit already.
2: Well, in part, yeah, well, it changed it for me. I used to think it ruined it for me, but it just transformed the game for me. And I'm starting to realize now that's probably for the better. Uh, It's still something I'm working out, but I think the answer is no.
1: Well, that's good, because I know for me personally, I still can't go to a ballpark and have a hot dog. (laughs) I just just can't do it. (laughs) I wouldn't
2: go to a ballpark and wash a uniform, so I get it.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and it's funny. And and also working for Stadium Journey, and I know – Dave and Mark, you guys can back me up on this. When I go to a game now, my perspective has changed as a stadium journey writer. I don't, the, the game is sometimes almost secondary. I'm going in there and I'm looking in the back of the concession stand, see what they're doing back there. I'm looking at the menu boards. Yeah. It's, it's that, it's slanted my perspective to where I'm looking at the ballpark and the, the sideline stuff more. And has that happened to you, Greg? Have you oh, kind of, yeah.
2: When I watch a game, the, one of the biggest things I see is a guy sliding into second base. I'm thinking about how much time is the clubby going to have to spend scrubbing those pants. That's, that's the kind of stuff I think about.
3: So have you, has it been, like, critical for you? Oh, look at that guy. He's got a stain on his ass. That clubby is terrible.
1: <laughs> He's going to want to fat in all temperatures.
2: <laughs> i got to give him my OxyClean formula. He'll get that stain out. It is interesting. I, a, a jersey can be uh, very dirty. It can be very dirty before you notice it from the stands. It's quite shocking how dirty they can be without you realizing it.
3: So would you have been a fan of the uh, the San Diego Padres Unis back maybe a few generations ago where they kind of had that sand color? And they oh, were, yes. And they weren't white? It was, yes! <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's why I loved... Um, when a team would come back from a road trip, you know, home unis are white and then the road trip unis are gray and easier to hide. Oh, my God. When they came back from a road trip and they had their dirty road uniforms that were gray, hides those stains perfectly. I love it. That Pawtucket Red Sox jersey behind you looks like it'd be really easy to clean. <laughs> or Pawtucket uh, Red Wings, I should say. Sorry.
1: No, Red Sox, you were right. Uh, oh, okay. Not now the Worcester Red Sox, unfortunately. So, uh mm. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, great. How does one go about becoming a clubhouse attendant?
2: <laughs>
1: how, how, how did you end up getting a job like that? Dude, it
2: was a fluke. I mean, seriously, I had no idea how much of a fluke it was at the time. But, like, I, I just so happened my only job experience was being a clubby in college. So, um, you know, I love the game. I'm a huge Twins fan, like I said. Like, I always loved being around baseball. So, I had a Division One baseball scholarship. Uh, But it was just for washing jockstraps at Winthrop University, graduate 2011, terrible job market. That's my only job experience. And it just so happens that at the same time, a clubby position opened up for the Aberdeen Ironbirds. And I thought, oh, gee whiz, I'll take that job. Not realizing until after the fact, no, 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 those jobs do not go listed like that. They get passed down to somebody's nephew and they get passed down to somebody else's grandson. So it was just like this perfect alignment of the stars where I happened to have the experience and the position happened to open up, and that never happens.
1: Winthrop University, they made the big dance, right?
2: Yes, sir. They're number 12 seed playing Villanova on
1: Friday at 10 p.m. Oh, that's a big upset special right there. Jay,
2: Jay Billis is calling it. He's saying Winthrop wins that. Yeah, a lot of people are calling it, which usually means that it's going to be a blowout against them.
3: That's yes. the way that usually works.
1: Yeah, you hate for a 12 seed to be too popular. No Five doubt. 12s, that's,
3: those are the ones. That, those True. are upset specials. I wonder why that is. What is it about the 12 seed?
2: I think because the 12 seed is usually for a really uh, high quality automatic conference championship bid, so it's like the best of the mid majors against a mediocre major conference team that did not win their conference championship.
3: Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely.
1: Fractology yes. brought to you by Stadium Journey.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so I, I wasn't sure if I was going to ask this or not. Love but it already. I, I'm, I'm going to ask anyway. Um, why'd you give it up? That's the question, isn't it? it, it, it was, It was a tough... Like, I, I, and Paul and I discussed this, and so it was like, I didn't really get an understanding as to why he stopped, why he stopped doing it. Yeah. And, and it I don't, is, I'm, I'm trying not to ruin the whole book, so. Don't try to <laughs> hear your negative. Go out and buy the book. Don't just listen to me. Buy the book.
2: I, I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, without giving away too much from the ending, I mean, it is, like all endings in baseball, it is an abrupt ending of my career and in the book. And, um, I didn't go back because I felt like I was enabling myself to chase after something that was not good for me. Like going back to baseball more and more was me trying to chase a dream that I wasn't even willing to admit to myself I was going after. I, you know, I put on a jersey when I travel with the team. I take batting practice with the team. I would take ground balls with the team and I'd do bat, you know, shag fly balls in the outfield during batting practice. Like I got very, I was living in the clubhouse. I got very entrenched in that world to the point where I felt like, yeah, you know what? Me trying to work my way up the Orioles system ladder as a clubby with this secret wish in the back of my mind, like, ooh, I'm going to get my Rudy moment one of these days. <laughs> uh, I don't think was healthy for me, man. It was chasing after something that would not be good for me in the long term. I'm much better off writing books.
3: And, and would that be how, um, would that be the way that that clubbies would move up, like they go up, like like players and managers, from high A, single A, you know, double A, and sometimes, um, again, those guys at the major league level, those some of those
2: guys, they'd been. I met a few of those guys. They were there for decades. Like it was not likely that I would. It was as unlikely as being a major leaguer, making it as a major leaguer. You know, there's only a few slots, and people get moved up, and some people wash out.
4: Yeah, I can uh, attest to that. I started off working minor league baseball, minor league sports, and you know when you're 22, 24, you have aspirations. You know, let's let's work for peanuts and let's you know try to survive on. Because one thing I would do is the food that we would have left over after games, I would take that home, whatever I could, and, and oh, yeah. I, would, I would eat that for the rest of the week when I when I was in Cincinnati. And then after a while, you, you realize, you know, like in my case, I was getting checks that were bouncing. So I don't think Cal Rifkin would be doing that to you. But yeah, yeah it got to the point where you you had to say, okay, you, you gave this a shot. You, you did it for a few years. Uh, I know Nashville Sounds were going to offer me a gig to work there. They were going to pay me. And right. by that time, I was thinking, my goodness, I don't want another internship. I, I want a job. I want to make some money that I can live on. So I, I – Know exactly where you're coming from. You sound like you had a little better gig than I did in
2: some aspects. So, must yeah, me I mean, that, once that romantic sheen gets worn off, yes, it's, it's not fun and it's not funny anymore. Like it's, it gets to a point where it feels maybe a little bit sad to keep going back. Well, and, well, yeah, well, that and some of your friends are making more money than you. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. You meet a girl because I, you know, I
4: remember being single at the time. She was making more money than me, and I'm thinking, my goodness, I gotta. I got to step up to the plate, you know, I'm not to save right. anything. I don't have a pension. I don't have benefits. Yeah. My parents are getting on me. My mom is right. the
1: worst. I, I the guess worst. that's how it ends for all of us, huh? Because, yeah, my, my – uh, this is, this has got to be the, the end. Well, it came for many reasons, but one of them was I finally did get the job offer that I was waiting all those years for, and it was a fraction of what I made at my full-time job. Hmm. So I like, was oh, Time, time yeah, to grow up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I
4: was substituting. I was making more money as a substitute teacher. Uh and when you figure when you can it all up and than working for uh I was working for a soccer team uh, in Cincinnati and uh there was a, a low level baseball team as well at another point. Making more money subbing. Right. But I think that's how it how it is. They they know that people want to work those jobs. They they have this idea that you're gonna start off making very little pay if not nothing and then uh, one day making it up to COS uh, uh Epstein level, which is not the case. It's a small percentage of the ones
2: who do that. Right. I mean, there is something about that transformation that is just analogous to growing up. It's boyhood into manhood that, I don't know, you can still become a man in baseball or in minor league baseball, but for some of us I think it's important to leave in order to transform yourself.
3: Hey, that's where I am. I've been doing this for ten years now, and someday I hope to be up to Paul Baker level. Oh, that's where the big fuck
1: so, so, so David, so that means I passed you up because uh, I've only been with the company for seven years. I know. I've been,
5: <laughs> I've been doing this sure. for. me. I've been doing this for eleven
3: years.
1: <laughs> so, uh, Greg, there was a lot of great characters, a lot of interesting <laughs> people in your book. Um. Who am I, I think of? The pitching coach. I, I mean, why is Alan the, Mills. The, Alan Mills, yes. Uh, the, you know what's funny? The whole time I was reading the book, I was thinking of the bench coach for the Red Sox, whose last name is also Mills. And then uh, Brad Mills. His name is Brad Mills. Um, but then when you got to the part where you talked about Alan a little bit and, and the legendary fight. Oh, yes. He was a part of. And then I went youtube a it, and I was like, wait, that's not the guy I was thinking of at all. I mean, he was really – there were a lot of great characters in the book, but it, to me, he was really the big personality in that clubhouse.
2: Yeah, Alan Mills, 12 years in the majors, 1998 brawl between the Baltimore Orioles and the New York Yankees. Alan Mills went into the Yankees' dugout and knocked Darryl Strawberry's lights out. He sure famously. did. Famously. I mean, when Mills told me that story, you know, he gave me his perspective on it. Mills, very, you know, he's a black black belt martial artist and this man knows how to he knows how to kill somebody and he told me that story of of knocking daryl strawberry out holding strawberry by the windbreaker rearing his fist back and he said to me that he just woke up and realized that he could kill this man if he wanted to he said it transformed his life completely um now granted two years later as Mills was a bullpen pitcher for the L.A. Dodgers. The Dodgers were in Wrigley Field. Uh, and, you know, the, the bullpen at Wrigley Field is very it, – it's on the field, and the fence between them and the fans is a brick, fa- a, a brick wall that's very short. Um, a fan takes the cap off of Chad Kruder's head, the bullpen catcher, and the bullpen for the Dodgers goes into the stands at Wrigley Field and uh, starts fighting the fans, and Alan Mills was a part of that bullpen. Now, granted, if you watch the tape, Mills was very much trying to keep the peace. But still, there's something to be said for being a part of a bullpen that fights some fans. <laughs> the man did grow up, for sure. But uh, there's still that brawler inside of him. Even when he was in Aberdeen, that dude, <laughs> he read the book. He felt like he was the villain. I mean, to me, he's not the villain. He's my foil. Like, we're very different. We exaggerate each other's traits. But like, do you, I feel like villain is a little strong for his character.
1: No, I think foil is the right word for it. He was definitely the strongest personality of all the people you talk about in, in the book. For sure. <laughs> right. Just seemed like that guy. When he walked in the clubhouse, it was his clubhouse now. Whether you were for a player, sure. a trainer, or whatever whatever your job was, he, he he ruled the clubhouse.
2: And for better, for the most part. I mean, the guy knew what he was talking about, and he had he helped create a good culture where people were loose, <clears throat> where people weren't taking it too seriously. And if people did take the game too seriously, he would – Kind of knock him over the head and say, "Hey, man, it's a
3: long season. Meet, loosen up." Are you sure you read the whole book? Because I, I would agree that he kind of sounded like the villain at the beginning, but he sort of arced towards, uh, towards a foil, or, or I don't know. He, he seemed to. By the time he, he come around a year into a, few, uh, into a few games, and you know, it seemed like he was, uh. Moral, more of a, a protagonist as opposed to, as opposed to the villain? Oh, Mills. anyway.
2: Well, when he called me up after reading the book, um, initially he had just cherry-picked a couple <laughs> of scenes. He didn't read the full thing. But um, after he read the full book, he still felt like the villain. By the way, I, I re, re, with his permission, I recorded that interview, and it's on my YouTube channel at Clubby. Uh, very fascinating conversation with him. But um, he said that he really liked the book and he felt like I captured that time there. And so now if somebody says, hey, I don't agree. The Baltimore Orioles, for example, they're pissed off that I wrote this book. They're not happy that this book exists, first of all. I got word from a very reliable source, a a certain minor league baseball GM in that organization said that their front office is pissed. I'll put it that way. Um, But the way I see it, Alan Mills feels like he's the villain and he's not even – he still
3: liked the book. So nobody else has any grounds to stand on. Well, why would, why do you think the Orioles would be upset that it at, at just like the overarching kind of this is the way this is a a, a view behind the organization um, you know i I guess I guess one person who I thought might be uh, a part of the story who really wasn't was Cal Ripken, you know he, yeah he seemed to be like he kind of waltz in and wave and leave and that was that was the <laughs> That was the the entirety of the Cal Ripken part of the book.
2: Yeah, well, two things on that. Well, first of all, why would the Orioles be upset about it? I think an unauthorized clubhouse memoir tell-all is automatically going to send ruffles and feathers. Secondly, like, do you want people to know that you feed all of your players hot dogs after the game? Do you want people to know that they're not getting paid well? This sort of, like, behind-the-scenes look, I can understand that they'd be upset. And as far as Cal Ripken goes... Yeah, he was the owner of the Aberdeen Ironbirds. But in 2012, a lot of people don't know this, but his mom was kidnapped in the uh, middle of the 2012 season. Right. So he had a lot more on his plate than Aberdeen Ironbirds. Um, His mom eventually died this year, actually. They still don't know what the motive behind that kidnapping was. FBI got involved, $100,000 reward. Still no idea. This guy just kidnapped his mom, drove her around for several hours, blindfolded, and then dropped her off back at the house.
3: He had bigger issues. I re- I remember going through that part, and I texted Paul right away. What? Kyle Ripken's mom was kidnapped? What the heck? I don't remember this. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, a lot of people just didn't – I don't know why, but it didn't make a lot of news that year. So
4: so, but, so the, the Baltimore Orioles are, are upset because you're telling
2: people they fed hot
4: dogs to their players. I mean, that's not too shocking. I'm sure some teams have served worse.
2: For sure. I don't know that, that that's – I don't oh, okay. know that it's a one-to-one correlation of, like, they're yeah. upset about the hot dog thing. I think just as an overall ethos of the clubhouse, they would probably prefer that the world so, didn't know. So
4: you're black ball probably for Major League Baseball.
2: Oh, 100 I knew okay.
3: the second that I put into paper <laughs> that I was never going to work in professional you know, baseball. Career. Well, it t- how many years did it take for Jim Bowden to be welcomed back by the New York Decades. Yankees? Decades, yeah. <laughs> but, but you know black. what? I, I, my, what opinion, nice my opinion was um, <laughs> that it, it – sure like it it didn't seem like the greatest scenario but i didn't think he like i was left with the impression that that was the same thing that was going on in every other clubhouse in that in that whole league um, for sure yeah like well we talked about about dan barry's book uh the bottom of the thirty third uh yeah. you know a few months ago and those guys had to throw all the laundry in backpacks hike up on their bikes, and, and go to a laundromat to do the laundry. So, you know. <laughs> I mean, granted,
2: those guys were not working for a $10 billion organization, though. That's the big difference.
3: Well, that's true. It was. It's a little bit uh, – the times were, were definitely different than, than they are now. But, yeah, I I don't know. I, I felt confident that that's kind of the way it was across the board, and that, like, it wasn't a reflection on – on Baltimore per se, and oh, and totally to... agree. But
2: no, nobody else wrote a cl- wrote a memoir about it. That's the difference. Like I'm just the one who happened to write a memoir about the Orioles organization, so that gets the spotlight.
3: Right. Well, if you put one plus one, you know, weird clubhouse stuff plus Orioles being terrible, <laughs> <laughs> is, is that where the correlation is? <laughs>
2: That is an interesting question. It's hard for me to know exactly because I only have the reference points of the Orioles organization, but I wouldn't be surprised.
3: Right.
1: So, Greg, did any of the uh, players from your time in Aberdeen end up making up to the show, making much of an impact? Because the the, uh, amount of players who usually make it from the short season up to the majors, probably one or two a year, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, the 2012 season, not, not very many. Josh Hader was on that team. Um, and then 2013, we had Trey Mancini, who's, you know, playing first base for the Orioles now. We had Mike Stremski. He's on the Giants now. Uh, a couple yeah. of guys who've had a cup of coffee here, like Austin Mikey Wings, Stremski. Donnie Hart, Jimmy Yacobonis. But, um, I mean, Trey Mancini, Mike Stremski, Josh Hader are the big ones.
1: Some all the names there.
3: Would it, would but, it be – uh, have you – Have you? oh, yeah, I guess it, nobody's read it yet, but are you expecting to hear from um, people who, who purchased Mikey Stremsky bats uh, out, of the, uh, out of the gift shop? Are, are you expecting some correspondence from, from some folks like that?
2: I have a couple of people I know specifically. Like, yes, I am. I had this scam. You know, if players wanted a new bat, I would make them trade me their old broken bat in order to get a new bat. And then what I would do, as the scheming clubby, I would bring it up to the gift shop, sell it for twenty bucks. I would get that cut, and I would fabricate the names, Mikey Yastrzemski or Trey Mancini, so that they would sell faster. Almost never were they Mikey Yastrzemski or Trey Mancini because those men would have their agents give them bats, and they wouldn't get the crap Ash Rawlings bats that I'd give the team. And so there's this flooded market of fake Yastrzemski Mancini bats all over the Aberdeen area. Uh,
1: <laughs> Somebody. I will, I will. I will never trust a discount broken bat or broken stick rack in any pro shopping ever again. <laughs> <laughs> They're expecting
2: the, the clubby to, to be truthful when there's seven dollars and fifty cents at stake. It's like come
3: on.
1: Hey hey Greg, so now since you're on the Stadium Journey podcast, let's uh let's ask you about some ballparks here. Please. Um You got any favorite ballparks, either from your time working or just as a fan, your time before or after? Is fine.
2: Well, I grew up going to uh, the Metrodome, which is so depressing, dude. But to compare the (laughs) Metro, yeah, I don't play that
4: game there. I was so literally bored.
2: It's not a great place for a ball game. But then you compare that to Target Field. Target Field is gorgeous, beautiful. One of my favorites. a great skyline of Minneapolis. I love Target Field. Great food. Um, great lounge. Yes,
3: dude.
4: Uh, Anything you want, line? you can get
3: there? What, For sure. Um, what would the uh? I, and, and I apologize if I'm if I'm overshooting your age of here a bit. What would it have been like in '91? Because I would have thought that the Metrodome would have been. You know, I get the whole it's it's dreary, it's drab, it's a dome stadium yeah, but winning in ninety one when they when they won and you know like I, I compare it to the Rogers Center, like the, the pop that that scream at the Rogers Center is better than any any outdoor thing anywhere, right? We, like all the noises is, is kept in and and the Metrodome had had a rep for being really, really loud. Oh yeah. I mean uh two thousand six
2: Twins were in the ALDS against the Oakland A's, I believe. You know, Torrey Hunter, Johan Santana, Francisco Liriano, those guys. I was at the ALDS uh, game one, I believe, that year, and they opened up the curtains in the upper deck, which they never – there's, you know, Kent Herbeck, Kirby Puckett pictures are up there, and they never open up those curtains, and they open it up so that they could fit more people. That was – you're right, like the pop of the sound in that stadium, It was, it was deafening. We couldn't even talk to each other. Um, but even so, I'd take Target Field any day over that. Maybe not,
5: maybe not <laughs> even in April.
2: In April? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Target <laughs> Field is such a better stadium. <laughs> yeah. Even in April. Wow.
1: How about, um, uh, during yeah. your New York 10 League days, any, any ballparks that you got to see stand out to you or?
2: I mean, Ripken Stadium is a gorgeous ballpark, first of all. Um, but MCU Park on Coney Island, the Brooklyn Cyclones ballpark, that's a really fun. I mean, you're literally in the middle of a circus. They got there's the roller coasters in the beyond the fence. You got the like the parachute, the lit up parachute in the out just beyond the outfield fence. You got the the water there. That was a real fun. Stadium.
0: It's very
4: colorful. The neon lights. It's it's unlike any other minor league ballpark out there. Yeah,
0: 100%. I definitely,
4: I definitely would agree.
2: Um, and then, you know, Joseph Bruno in uh, the tri city Valley Cast—that was a, that was like a template bad low-level A stadium. Uh, those are the only three that I saw in the New York Fen League, actually. Oh wow!
1: So, Do you have any other favorites that you've been to? I All love on favorites, weak favorites.
2: <laughs> I really love going down. Fort Myers is a great spring training town. I love going to JetBlue Park. Um, it, it doesn't have the same personality as the Twins. I don't think the Twins Stadium is called Hammond Stadium anymore, their spring training facility. It has a new name like CenturyLink or something. But I, um, I know, dude. Yeah, it, like, <laughs> huh? Really? <laughs> <laughs> but going uh, to Hammond Stadium, the Twins spring training complex, that's one of my favorites because it was like – A lot of people would be at JetBlue Park for the Red Sox. It's a sexier team, more payroll, all that stuff. And then the dinky little twins would be forgotten on the other side of town. And I would get to go up close with the players, and I'd get to talk to the players when they walked in and out of the clubhouse. I loved that park. Now that the twins are a little bit more of a sexy team, it's harder to get close to them. But um, I still love Hammond Field. Like That always has a place in my heart.
1: I was thinking when I was reading the book, about, you know, the the food and stuff, because the one time I went to Ripken Stadium, we actually, while we were waiting in line for tickets, uh, a small kid, you know, 8-year-old boy or so, 10-year-old boy, came up and gave us two club seats. So we got to sit in the all-you-can-eat section. Wow. And in Aberdeen, they're famous for the, the crabs. They do... Yes. They do the crab feast there. And I lived in Baltimore for four years, so I'm familiar enough with the crabs, so we went to town. We ate like kings that day. So there were probably... This was before your time, so whoever was the clubby at the time didn't get any <laughs> leftover food for the guys that day. But, yeah, the food is what I remember the most about Ripken Stadium. And um, I know for anybody listening, Ripken Stadium is just a part of a complex there because there's a whole well, – or it's not Babe Ruth. It's Ripken League, yes, which is right. kind of analogous to the Babe Ruth League. They've got a whole complex of ballparks that are modeled after major league parks over there.
2: Yeah, that's right, and every year – you know, they they try and make it as big as the Little League World Series, the Cal Ripken World Series. Every year, kids from Japan, kids from the Dominican, kids from all over the world come congregate and have a tournament there. At these mini, uh, these mini like Camden, these mini like Memorial Stadium, all these like mini ballparks, mini Wrigley, mini Fenway. It's a really cool complex, and if I was a kid, it would be so incredible to be at these miniaturized versions of these stadiums.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, that's what I remember the most about Aberdeen, and uh, except for the rainstorm we drove through to get, get through it one day. Um, did you ever get to see, uh, obviously you got to talk, see Camden Yards while you are there, did you ever get to see Memorial Stadium?
2: No, no.
1: But I not. went down in the 90s, so that would be before your time. Yeah, I'm dating myself there, I right know. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever get to see Connie Mack Stadium when you went to Philly? <laughs>
5: <Right>. <laughs>
1: why did this, why did the scene from Air, airplane just come in my head? You ever see a grown man in the sauna? Gladiator <laughs> like movies. Yeah.
4: <laughs> now, uh, now, Greg,
1: coming from uh, the St. Paul,
2: Minneapolis area, have you been to a Saints game? I have. Um, Midway. Midway. I went. Yeah, I go there every once in a while growing up. That was a that was a solid. That was a solid minor league ballpark. Nothing spectacular, pretty bare bones, and now they're a Triple A affiliate, which is incredible. Yeah, did you ever think you'd see the day that would happen? <laughs> no, uh, not That's, at all. I mean, that yeah, was. And oddly enough, I, so when I was a freshman in college, I went to Hamlin University in St. Paul for a, one year trying to. I tried to play on their baseball team. I lasted 48 hours before yeah. they cut me. By the way, wow. in high school, I had a a point zero nine one batting average, so I thought I was going to play college baseball, you know what I mean? Um, but Ham- Hamlin University had a real strong connection with the St. Saint Paul Saints. And so, like, a lot of players would get transferred back and forth. So there's a part of me that thought that so that 48 hours I dreamed of me playing for the St. Paul Saints one day and then I was like, "Oh wow, I can't even play for the Division 3 Hamlin Pipers." So wow, I think that's wow. 48 that 48
4: hours. That's that that's all it lasts huh. <laughs> at. Sounds
1: like 40, my, my. 46 hours longer than my high school baseball career. Let me just tell you that much. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I guess Greg, this would be the, a time where we can uh wrap things up and we'll let you take over and promote your 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 book and you said you have the YouTube channel with clips on it. You can Promote
2: the heck out of everything you want to. Awesome. I'll make it really easy for everybody. I have all of my content. I have deleted scenes, pre-order deals. Um, you know, I have videos, everything, on clubbybook.com. That's C-L-U-B-B-I-E book.com. It's a really cool website. There's, it's really fun. There's all kinds of cool content. Check it out. You can follow me on, on social media, pre-order the book. Every, everything is there.
1: That's awesome. I'm gonna be sure to check out that website myself. So, Clubby for sure. Greg, Clubby we were, books for our listeners. Clubby Book. Clubby Book. And it's right there under your your photo. So great. We were thrilled to have you on. We wish you all the best with with the book. A lots of success. It was a great read. I can recommend it to anybody who's listening out there right now. And uh, I guess best of luck to you in the future, Greg. Look forward Thanks to more from you in the future. Yeah. Appreciate I it. Thank you. It was our pleasure. Greg Larson, his book, Clubby, a Minor League Memoir, is coming out beginning of April, right? April 1st, yes, sir. Beautiful. Look for it wherever finer books are sold. Opening day makes a great gift. Hell yeah.
4: Thanks, fellas.
0: <laughs>
1: and he's gone. All right, so this is the part of the show where we uh, recap our visits over the past fortnight. Well, you know, lately it's the part where Mark recaps his visits because the rest of us can't go anywhere right now.
4: Yeah, apparently Indiana's <laughs> is open,
1: not, <laughs> not, not anywhere else. <laughs> but, hey, before you go, Mark, I actually have been to – I've got a little bit of news. Uh, I've been to UMass Dartmouth basketball again, and uh, they're the Little East men's basketball champions. So that was a lot of fun to be part of that. So congratulations, guys! I know none of you are watching.
4: Yeah, you'll, you'll. I mean, <laughs> I'm at the
1: point I'll take anything. <laughs> but my point. big news, my big news. Next weekend, I'm going to a hockey game. I'm going to three hockey games for the first time in over a year. I will be heading up to Warrior Ice Arena, my That's other like t- home away from home,
5: yeah.
1: uh, for the National Women's Hockey League Championship Tournament. Friday <laughs> night and Saturday night on NBC Sports Network, and yours truly will be on national television. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yes. I will be doing the PA for the two final games on Friday and the finals on Saturday. So you will absolutely hear this lovely voice doing the pregame introductions, and I will also be a part of the trophy celebration at the end. I'm sure, because that's kind of what a PA guy does. Okay, that's that's wow, big time. That is, I am big time. Big time. I'm bad. I'm bad. I'm nationwide. Yes. Big it's time. That's, that's the only places I'm going. Mark, you- where you been? Where you been? Where you going?
4: Oh, I I went to uh, the Tiernan Center, which is at one time the fourth largest high school gym in the country. They just renovated it last year. Now it's the 16th. It still seats close to 6,000 people. So it's amazing cool. how you can you can fall that far. But wow, uh, the the Tiernan Center. I have a video on YouTube today. Uh, if you guys want to check it out, was hosting sectional tournaments. The place looks like a college facility. I I. I, I don't know if the, the local IU East College still plays out there, but they have new bleachers, you know, they have a, a, a nice sound system, new lighting, there's no reason why, you know, a small university can't play there. Uh, you know, wide concourses, bleacher seats, they pull out. It, it's It's a nice little place, probably a little bit too big for regular games, uh, but, you know, if you go back to the 80s, early 90s, they used to get about 6,000 to 7,000 people uh, uh, every home game, which is amazing to think that, but that, that was the case. So I went to Tiernan Center. The highlight was uh, it was a very close game between the two teams, and with about seven seconds left, uh, the Anderson, Indiana team went up by seven po- uh, three points, and the kid's mom comes out on the floor to give him a hug, which also almost caused a technical. So you'll see that on my video. This mom was his mom
1: Morgan the kissing bandit? No, no she well, she,
4: she was an attractive mom, but she was um, she was getting just like she oh, she didn't realize how much trouble that could have led to. So the the players were pushing her off, and some of the other parents were getting her off, and she's like, okay, I'm sorry, but she was just <laughs> she almost passed out. She she asked for her inhaler after the game. So if you watch wow. the video, I kind of I kind of pinpoint her through the rest of the end of the video because she she becomes the star uh, of the video and it kind of uh, you know uh, kind of kind of maybe a little bit sad because you know it's just it's nice to see a mom come out there but not now yet six seconds and of course the other team comes and ties it it goes into overtime but luckily her her son's team won. thanks They're a lot, not, Ma. All so that for nothing. I'm
5: trying to herself. it he's like, Mom, bird. what are you doing? Mom, you're embarrassing me.
4: And it's on YouTube. So if that kid wants to look at it 20 years from now, he <laughs> can look at that. Uh, so that's the first place. Then I went to the Berry Bowl in Logansport, uh, Indiana, on Saturday. Uh, number one and number two were playing in the state. And it was a very good game. And this gym was packed. You didn't even think a pandemic was happening. Uh, the first gym not a lot of people there. This place was packed. Uh, there was no social distancing. People had their masks on, but there was no social distancing, and I, I'm just really curious if there was a cap on the tickets sold for that game, because the, the place was... Sounds like no. No, it wasn't. I mean, <laughs> it, 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 I just couldn't believe... Or, or someone can't count. <laughs> and,
5: and, and, I don't yes, no, probably not for yeah, that
4: one. You had students, both, both schools had their student sections. Um... Fans uh, flocked up there after that game. The second game started, there was nobody there. So, you know, when when you get number one and number two in the state battling each other this early on, I, I guess you throw out those COVID rules. We'll be battling
5: COVID <laughs> later.
4: <laughs> and, and that's another large gym, which is, is one of my one of my favorites. Uh, just the the whole Felix the Cat and the berries and the history behind that name.
1: Uh, I remember and then when your a review of that place, yeah.
4: Yeah, so uh, I'll probably add some updated pictures because it doesn't look that much different than when I was there a few years ago for tournament play. Like, I was just shocked. It's like, okay. So after the game, uh, they have a baseball field up on the hill, and it has synthetic turf. They had two local colleges were playing there because uh, one of the team, Grace College, which is a Christian school, couldn't use their field because of weather. And you had about maybe 80 people at this game, so you had 80 people at a at a college game on a high school campus, and and this baseball field looks like something from the Northeast. It felt like a Northeast baseball crowd, but it was just at a high school, and I just happened to, to stumble upon it. So uh, I did an article and a video on that as well, not a review, just just a, just an article. Took some pictures. Uh, so I did, yeah, I did an unexpected double header that day. And then, of course, uh, on Sunday, I checked out ABA basketball. That is uh, not the Dr. J ABA, but the minor league version. It's been around for 20 years, and they have a, a team out here in Danville, Indiana, that plays in an old college gym that was built 1937. And I have to tell you, the the town and the team, they do a nice job for what they have. They have signs outside, they have merchandise, they have kids coming out to shoot baskets at halftime or before the game, they have a DJ there, they play music. Uh, the basketball is not the best. It's a lot of guys trying to dunk and do alley-oops and missing almost at an alarming rate. It's nowhere near the high school basketball that I was watching earlier but there was maybe 120 people in this in this uh, stadium uh, in this arena which was a lot more than i would have ever expected and afterwards i walked down to the town square and people yeah knew about this team oh well, yeah how are the lions doing how are they doing today so you know it bare bones minimum uh, not a bad job sort of reminds me of uh, you know watching usbl basketball back in the 90s or United Soccer League games back in the 90s, you know, you, everything was makeshift, but you appreciate it because they're showing you some effort, so uh, perfect, the, the gymnasium is just, it's, never knew this existed, I didn't know the history of this gym, There was it was for an old college that no longer exists in Danville, and they refurbished it, I think the team put some money into it themselves, and it's not a bad looking place, I have a review of that coming up as, as well, uh, and, and there's one guy who told me, he goes, Yeah, I come here as much as I can because it's down the street and it's 10 bucks and it's nice basketball to watch. So, you know, an a unexpected little, uh, a, a unexpected little find uh, in Danville. Uh, and like I said, the ABA, I didn't know this even existed. I thought this died, you know, 15 years ago. But same logo, same ball. Same everything. So those were
5: three, three visits since The, the more you night. know, the more you know. Are we not talking <laughs> about the Otterbots? The Otterbots. I was going to mention the Otterbots. <laughs> I think of the, the Transformers. Yeah, just like I know, but when you said Anvil, I thought oh, about yeah, the Otterbots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are, can you guys hear me? Fine, like normal. Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the greatest thing I've seen today. Otterbots. That that has to be
4: one of the craziest. Minor league baseball logos <laughs> in recent memories. That looks like a a, a villain from Silverhawks or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles.
5: Silverhawks. Oh Silver my Hawks. God.
4: That doesn't look like a minor league baseball logo. Oh, like, it look. is
5: Silverhawks. Oh my yeah. God,
4: it's the worst. And you want to know a funny thing? The Evansville Otters released their new logo today. Look that up and compare and contrast.
5: We'll do a Venn diagram, folks. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Just, just look it up because I I don't know, what what what'd you guys think about the Outer 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 Otter Outer box, ot, ot, box, box
1: I
3: am Optimus Fox. Otter Box. Otterbox. Box transform.
1: Wasn't what I was expecting. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, exactly. Man. I mean Man.
3: it's it,
1: it doesn't look like a modern league. Uh, looks logo. like it could kick the crap out of the sock puppet though, so, doesn't it?
4: I still like the sock puppets. if, if I if we're doing a list here. But OtterBox. Yeah, Princeton.
1: Appalachian League, man. Great rebranding. And then, and then I guess still one waiting, more to go. One we're one. waiting for what? Princeton. Princeton Pulaski, uh, Princeton. No, no. Pulaski is the River Turtles. That's kind of boring now, isn't it?
5: Well, you know, like,
4: like I didn't know that robotic programming and, and STEM program in Danville was a major thing, but you know, it's uh, it's kind of cool when teams really kind of reach out to the community to find something to implement into their logo. And, you know, Chris Kramer had a good write-up today about it that I checked it out. So, yeah, but look up the Evansville Otters and then look, look up the Otter box and just compare and contrast the two logos. In fact, I called up the Evansville because I, I got a little bit of a contact down there. And they, this logo for the Evansville team was supposed to go out last year, but they held it in secret. Released it now. On the same day. That happens, what, once, twice in a lifetime? Huh. Renee,
5: breakfast, breakfast. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it was going to go <laughs> ball rants with it. I knew it. Yeah. So, yeah, otter. Harford, the whale. That only happens once or twice in a lifetime. I know. But, yeah, otters, yeah.
3: Hey, Dave, where you been lately?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Nowhere.
3: whole Wasaga, Wasaga Beach.
1: So, so I'm guessing the uh, the rules of
0: uh, what
1: I'm looking for I don't know, the COVID precautionary rules in Indiana are different than those in Ontario.
3: Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, pretty much. Well, um, I mean, you have a the, stable the, government
1: that
4: gives a crap. Okay, go ahead. Well, the
3: Minister of Sport is is working. There's still talk that there's going to be some OHL hockey this year. Uh, definitely not with with fans. No way. Uh, but but well. The WHL is, is playing, QMJHL is playing. Um, for a no, while. I meant
5: without fans. I was agreeing with you.
3: Yeah, without yeah, fans. Yeah, not happening. So for a while there, there was talk that they were going to totally remake hockey and you were not going to be able to do body checking and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean. And I'm, all
1: the old people said no. That's I'm, not I'm looking
3: forward like to, to watching uh, some, some Dunedin Blue Jays. And some um, uh, Orlando, Toronto FC. Uh, Tampa Raptors. Tampa Raptors. (laughs) Yeah, they're staying in Tampa for the duration. Yeah, that's it. So, no. For me, it's been, you know, the den, the cottage. Uh, Yeah, that's it. Yeah, same. The literary journey (laughs) 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 continues. If
1: you have started writing a book, you could have finished it by now.
3: That's true. I've read enough of them. <laughs>
5: <laughs> Matt uh, in the chat says Otterbots. We will decrypt your skulls on our bellies.
1: <laughs> yeah, Massachusetts and uh, you know Connecticut are both supposed to open up next week, so we'll see what it looks like. Oh it. well,
5: have fun with that. <laughs>
1: we'll, we'll, I see, mean, we'll see what happens. You're vaccinated, right? It doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I mean it imagine. doesn't matter to a point, but yeah, I got, got, got my first
5: shot. You know so. what? It's,
1: and and it's different. I feel different going to a baseball game or a lacrosse game. Than I would to say a basketball game.
5: Hell yeah. It's outside.
1: Yeah. Especially like, I don't know, Mark, I don't know. I would have seen I would have seen the Berry gymnasium back to the rafters. And I might've put a hold ass. uh, People are
5: freaking out about WrestleMania uh, and and they've been approved to have 45,000 outside. It's at Raymond James stadium, 45,000 outside for two days. At this point, I'm so tired of getting into arguments about wanting people to be okay. And I know the computer is not switching to my picture, but that's fine. Um, that it's like, listen, vaccines are rolling out, go, just go. I, at this point, I, I, yeah, I no, I know, but it's like, okay, I, like, what am I going to do?
3: You know, you know where I'm not, I'm not going to be for sure and, and wouldn't want to be anywhere near? Texas Rangers? Texas Rangers, Toronto Blue Jays, opening day, 100% capacity.
1: In Texas.
3: In Texas? Well, it's yep.
5: Texas. Yeah. I, I told my friends living in Texas, I don't expect to see you for uh, until I get my vaccine <laughs> shots. You stay the hell away from me. I don't trust you guys. Uh, anyway. ho-
1: hopefully, this is not like a, a, a false thing, and hopefully, we're getting closer to the end because
5: no, I mean we're getting to the end.
1: Whether well, we're, look we're what's get- happening in Europe, they're shutting back down again. Uh, uh,
5: we're getting to we're good. Well, first of all, we're going to screw it up. We're screwing it up. So, we're going to get there's going to be a bunch of opening and closing and opening and closing, but we're getting there. For God's sakes, if you just be patient, be safe, be safe. When you're going out, be
1: safe, be smart, and
5: we'll get through this soon. My, my Zoom is broken, so let's wrap
1: this up. All right. So, <laughs> it's fucking bad. Uh oh.
5: Where can our listeners follow you online? Uh, Dan Law 83, all social media platforms.
1: Mark, where can our listeners follow you online?
4: Ballpark Hunter across all social media platforms as well. Check out my review of the Tiernan Center uh, on my YouTube page. Go there now, right now. Right now. now, Like and subscribe.
1: Right now. we got like one minute left. No, no, right now. No, one minute. Dave, let's just
3: follow you online. Uh, At at uh, Profan9, if you don't want to go and see Mark's thing, then go and see Obstructed Views. On the, can uh, what do you talk all. about? Oh, see all them. the Los Angeles Clippers, yeah. And uh, be ready for the UConn Huskies next week. And we have some Stadium Journey podcast overtime. Overtime. That we're going to uh, be recording this week where um, I get together with the the rest of the Stadium Journey Knuckleheads, And we're going to talk about the CFL and what the heck they're talking about with the XFL. So, you change your mind, you need I'm an Xf,
5: If you need an XFL uh, talking head,
3: well, you're welcome to join. What time you do it? Nine o'clock tomorrow. Nine o'clock. Shit. Come on,
5: Profana. Daniel,
1: jump with this controller and everything. Yeah, Profana.
5: <laughs> if I didn't have to move a bunch of logistical stuff, I'd, I'd totally do it and put that on stream as well. I wouldn't care, but. The XFL, it happened. Moving on. Anyway, uh-huh. bad follow
1: <laughs> And you can follow me on social medias, <laughs> RI. And don't forget, guys, if you're still with us, don't forget to check out our website, stadiumjourney.com. Like us. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We're at Stadium Journey all across the board. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. I said that already. Like us on Facebook. I said that already. I'm repeating myself. I'm yeah, you're back you're, 1,000 you're, today been a long day, man. Yeah, I hear it. Find the Stadium Journey podcast at vocnation.com. Just search VOC Nation Radio Network on your podcast aggregator, your search app, that thing there. And uh, remember, if you're watching this at a later time, it's Final Pass Live every other Tuesday night at 8 Eastern at twitch.tv by StanLaw83. And we want to thank Greg Larson again for joining us tonight. I almost called him Gary Larson. Gary Larson.
5: No, he did not write cartoons in the Far Side (laughs) Gallery.
1: Thanks to Greg Larson for joining us tonight. His book was fantastic. I can't recommend it enough. We will return in two weeks. That will take us March 30th. Yes. When our topic will be NCAA hockey venues. And since today we talked about a baseball team in Maryland, I will quote Orioles fan Joan Jet the way out. Put another dive in the juice baby. Oh
0: This is Matt Hardy,
5: and you are listening to the VOC Nation. Rock and Roll Union and North Step Productions, in conjunction with Blu ray Atlantic City, proudly present Jersey Shore Jam 2 May 15th, featuring As we become Ghost and Rat Rod. It's been a long, cold winter, and now it's time to rock. Also appearing, the Rock and Roll Union house band, Shades of Grey, playing all of your favorites from the 60s to now. All COVID regulations will be in place. Tickets are available at eventbrite.com and are extremely limited, so get them before they run out. Doors open at 6 and show time is at 7. Rat Rod, As We Become Ghosts, and Shades of Grey. Jersey Shore Jam 2, May 15th at Blu-ray, 201 South New York Avenue, Atlantic City. Did I mention there's free parking? Don't miss it. and subscribe to the greatest wrestling podcast network in the world. Listen to HIAC Wrestling Podcasts today.
6: VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer, the Maestro,
5: Sometimes I cry. You have to tune in to find out why. And I also take your calls. I love chatting with you guys and seeing what the hell you guys are thinking. So meet me here on the VOC Nation. Be there or be square.
1: The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network.